What goes through your mind when you hear that the living God is our servant? That's the title of the next message in our Gift Giver series. We see in Scripture that Jesus is not only our Lord, He is our servant. This makes us pause and think, doesn't it? We're going to take a look at the passages where Jesus served God and His people, fulfilling the law and the gospel. What does this mean for us? Let's listen now to a message called, The Living God is Our Servant, Part 1. And I want us to take a closer and more careful look into the surprising good news that Jesus is not only our Lord, but He is our servant. God is your servant. Now, at first, that can create a lot of skepticism and make you feel a bit uncomfortable. I was preaching in Ireland at one of the church plants where we've been planting. And after the service over, the pastor came up and he says, you know, John, the way you introduced the service, God is here to serve us this morning. It made everybody here feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I better go back and explain a little bit more that, you know, um, because when you hear God is your servant, people go, really? God is my servant. Really? We're here to be served by God because we often speak of the importance of serving God. But how often, and just think about this for a minute in your own life, how often and how deeply have you thought about the fact that God, the living God, is constantly serving you? God is your servant, Jesus is your servant. We like to talk about Jesus as Lord, right? Especially the so-called Lordship Salvation crowd. They like to talk about Jesus Lord, Jesus Lord. But how often do you hear explicitly, definitively, and on a deeper level, Jesus, the living incarnate God who was among us, is your servant? So... I'm not making this up, and to confirm this shocking truth, I had you turn to Luke chapter 22. Now, we don't have time to read the entire chapter, so let's just begin reading verses 24 through 27. Luke writes, he says, verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So these are the disciples at the Last Supper, right? The Passover, we'll come back to that. And they're sitting around the table arguing amongst themselves who's going to have the greatest honor in God's kingdom. And Jesus said to them that the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? So quickly, who was reclining at the table? The disciples. Who was serving at this table? Jesus. And so Jesus says, who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? No, he says, but I am among you as the one 
who what? Serves. I am among you as the one who serves. Luke chapter 22 is one of my favorite chapters in the Holy New Testament. It's one of my favorite accounts in the Holy New Testament. It has absolutely been some of the best news I've ever discovered, and I'm sure I'll continue to discover more as I keep studying. But this is shocking truth here. We could, we could spend a considerable amount of time in this chapter mining the unsearchable riches that are found here, but we don't have that kind of time this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a summary survey of chapter 22 and then the rest of Luke's gospel to the end. So if this is one of those messages probably that you're not going to want to take notes from, and I'm doing that intentionally this morning because sometimes what you need to come to church to have is just an overwhelming confrontation with the living God where it just kind of overwhelms you. That's the point. Sometimes people talk about Jesus, but they don't show you Jesus. And so my point and goal this morning is to, as good as I can, take you through the survey to show you Jesus is your servant. And let just the amazing truth of that just sit on you and, and really just overwhelm you with good news. I want you to see that because it is an amazing thing that is happening here. And I just want you to feel the import of it just sit on you. And that will change you. If you see Jesus, you'll be changed. And so hopefully that will happen a little bit this morning. What we have in this passage is Luke presenting Jesus Christ to us, not only as Lord, but as our servant. He's not only Lord, but he's servant of the Lord. I want you to first of all understand that there's a context for Luke 22. It goes all the way back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Jesus says the one who serves in Luke 22 finds its rich soil in the suffering servant in Isaiah, chapters 52 and 53, but particularly chapter 53. Jesus, throughout his whole life, saw himself as the suffering servant figure, and he always interpreted his mission, especially what the Father had called him to do in terms of suffering and dying for people. And we see this clearly in Isaiah 53. But before that, in Isaiah 52, chapter 13, this will be familiar to you. The title, My Servant, that Isaiah gives to the Messiah, Jesus, that Isaiah prophesies of the suffering servant, this is classic covenant terminology. Isaiah prophesies of the suffering servant, and listen to what he says about him. He says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And then in Isaiah chapter 53, in verse 11, but really all throughout Isaiah 53, Isaiah the prophet shows you how God's servant will act wisely to save his people. And here's how one of the ways he'll do it. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Now, these passages of Scripture should be familiar to you because every Lord's Supper, we have that read to us. So what Luke is showing us in this account is that Jesus is the true and faithful suffering servant who is acting wisely to serve, that is, to save his people from their sins. That's what you're looking at here in Luke 22. So let's just look a moment at this divine servant in Luke 22. Look at chapter 22, verse 27, and look what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I'm among you as the one who serves. So a good theme for Luke's gospel is simply the work you gave me to do. Who gave him the work? His father. That's the theme of Luke's gospel, the work that you gave me to do. The faithful, true servant is carrying out wisely the work the father had sent him to do. And so Luke is showing us that Jesus is the true son. He is the one who serves the father on our behalf. Luke shows and begins his account, just like Matthew begins his account, that in the adult ministry of Jesus, Jesus demonstrates that he is the true and obedient Adam. He is the second and last Adam. He is the true and obedient Adam. He is the faithful Israel. The first Israel fell. Israel was called God's son. All of those titles are now attributed to Jesus, the faithful and true servant. He is the true Adam, the faithful Adam. He is the true obedient son. He is the true Israel. He is the one who is fulfilling all righteousness because he is now a truly obedient human being. Here at last is a human in the flesh hearing the words of God and responding from hearing those words and responding with a perfect life of obedience to those words. This is what Luke is showing us. Jesus is God's faithful and true servant. And then what is really amazing is that after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, do you know what one of the earliest terms first century believers used to refer to Christ as? This was one of their earliest terms. They would refer to Jesus as God's holy servant. And so Jesus, who is the divine servant sent by the Father to do the work of the Father on our behalf to serve his people and to save them from their sin, he built his whole agenda on what he perceived to be the agenda of his Father. He's the obedient son. Jesus, in John chapter 4, verse 34, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so Jesus' statement, I am among you as the one who serves, this is a stunning lesson of divine service. This is what divine service looks like. This is what it's like to be in the midst of God who serves his people. And what Luke shows us is that at this moment, none of Jesus' disciples understood true greatness and service in the kingdom of God. They didn't have a clue what was going on. They were God's gathered guests at God's table. We'll come back to that. And they had no idea that the living God was there to serve them. And Luke tells us that on the night of his betrayal, Jesus took the opportunity to teach his disciples an unforgettable lesson about true greatness and service in the kingdom of God. 
And don't miss the fact that Luke tells you and I that Jesus' divine service takes place in the midst of betrayal. If you've ever been betrayed, I think the last thing on your mind is, I don't want to serve that person, right? That's not what you're thinking, because it's not what I'm thinking. And you are seeing grace, because what is grace? We said grace is a person, Jesus, and it is his work. So what you're looking at here is a portrait of a person who is grace, serving sinners who are in great need, helping them through his work. That's grace. So let's take a moment and look at what the disciples, why the disciples needed this divine service. So let's just look at Luke 22 and just walk through it. And I want to contrast the disciples' need with Christ's service. All right, so let's look at the need for divine service. Look at verse 53. Look what Luke says. Luke 22, verse 53. Luke reports in verse 53, look at this, that the hour and power of darkness now had their way with Jesus. That's a stunning statement. The hour and power of darkness. Now, we're going to see that even though they had their way with Jesus, they would also be subject to God's overruling providence, right? Because Jesus would rise from the dead. But at this moment, at this hour, Luke says that the hour and power of darkness had their way with Jesus. So how did they have their way with Jesus? Go back to chapter 22, look at verse 2. Here's the first way they had their way with Jesus. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Christ to death. They wanted to murder him. Then look at chapter 22, look at verses 3 through 6. Satan entered into Judas, and Judas carries out his betrayal of Jesus in verses 47 through 53. Satan entered Jesus. The hour and power of darkness is having their way with the Son of God. And when, when, when Satan enters Jesus, Luke says in verses 47 through 53, Judas carries out his betrayal of Jesus. And then look at verse 24, the passage that we read. Luke tells us that a dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. Now we'll just stop there just for a second and make, a, make a, 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 an application here. The disciples posturing for position and power and honor and glory illustrates the depravity of every fallen human heart. What do we want? We want to be exalted, recognized, honored, right? We want the glory. We want the honor. We want the power. We want the positions. We, we want that, but we don't want to serve, right? Due to the fall, self-service, which J.I. Packer says is egocentricity. We're just focused on ourselves rather than God's service, God-centeredness, is the natural default tendency of the human heart. These disciples were sitting around the table thinking and arguing, I will have the highest position of honor in the kingdom of God. And so these misguided thoughts of kingdom greatness rather than humble thoughts of kingdom service fill the disciples' horizons. They're thinking, Jesus is the Messiah, the glory kingdom is coming 
This messianic expectation of this political liberator is going to free us. We're going to throw off the shackles of Rome. The glory days of Solomon are going to come back in. Maybe recalling the Maccabean revolt. Here it comes. We're going to have status. We're going to have honor. We're going to have power. And I'm going to be right there on the right side of Jesus. That's what they were thinking at this point. And so they were looking at the Son of Man from Daniel 7. Jesus, this title, Son of Man, was Jesus' favorite messianic uh, title for his deity. He, that was his favorite title. Comes from Daniel chapter 7, where you see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in great glory, crushing the kingdoms of this earth. They're thinking, oh boy, oh, here it comes. And Jesus had repeatedly emphasized throughout Luke's gospel, throughout his whole life, to the disciples that the Son of Man of Daniel 7 must suffer. And in just a couple of chapters back in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says in verse 25, But first, he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. These two themes of suffering and servanthood that we saw clearly revealed in Isaiah 53, the disciples had no idea about, but it clearly comes together in Mark 10.45 where Jesus, as James and John were having visions of grandeur, right? Listen to what they were saying to Jesus. They're saying, when you come into your glory, let us one sit on the right and one on the left. Give us the highest position in the kingdom, Jesus, because we know it's coming. And Je Jesus looks at both James and John, and he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so then rather than possessing a desire for status and honor and power as his disciples, Jesus gives selfless service to needy, undeserving sinners. It's just amazing. Look at Luke chapter 24. Look at verses 45 and 46. Just, just look at that for a second. Luke tells us that while Jesus was agonizing in prayer, that is serving his people through prayer, his disciples slept from sorrow. So while Jesus is in great agony, he continues to serve his people as blood comes through his sweat glands from his anticipation of receiving the wrath of God on the cross. He continues to serve his people in prayer. He has to be the obedient son for their, their sake. He forgives them, and like a shepherd who tenderly cares for his sheep, he says in verse 41 to them, he looks at them and says, sleep on now and take your rest. That's grace. Look at verses 49 through 51 of chapter 22. Peter is completely mistaking the events that are transpiring with Judas' betrayal, so Peter pulls out his sword, and he attempts to kill the servant of the high priest. He cuts off Malchus's ear. Trust me, he wasn't trying to cut off Malchus's ear. He missed. He was trying to chop his head off. And at some point after Peter's sword attack, 
all of the disciples deserted and fled in Matthew 26, verse 56. But in the midst of all that, them fleeing, Peter mistaking that the glory kingdom's not coming, Jesus immediately heals the servant's ear, Malchus's ear. Then look at chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Peter not only tried to decapitate this poor servant boy, but then right after that, he denies Christ three times. Swearing, cursing at this little old servant girl. I don't have a clue who he is. I have nothing to do with this man. I'm not a part of this. Leave me alone. He denies Christ three times. Chapter 22, verse 63, all the way to chapter 23, verse 12, Luke tells us Jesus undergoes mocking. He undergoes a beating, and he undergoes a kangaroo court. And then in chapter 23, verses 13 through 43, Luke tells us Jesus is unjustly sentenced to death by Pilate, and that he's led away by godless men to be murdered, crucified. We know that these men were godless men because on the day of Pentecost, Peter, who is preaching the gospel to the people on the day of Pentecost, listen to what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, about this event that Luke reports on. He said, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And so Luke is showing you this, such glaring human weakness and depravity highlight not only the need for Christ's divine service to us, but his amazing grace and carrying it out for us. This is astonishing. And so what then does it look like as Jesus is a true and faithful servant to carry out his divine service to these needy sinners here? What does it look like? What does it look like when he performs divine service? Well, Luke shows us. He tells us very clearly what this looks like. In Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 23, Jesus will accomplish his saving mission. And Luke tells us that the servant of the Lord, listen to this very carefully, he gathered his disciples together on the day of unleavened bread, which is Passover. And he wanted to eat the Passover with them because he's going to turn this old covenant custom sacrament into the new covenant sacrament, the Lord's Supper. So listen carefully. The servant of the Lord, who is the gift giver, gathers together his gathered guests to serve them. And Luke shows us that Jesus is the one who is taking the initiative in Luke 22 in this passage. And always throughout all of Scripture, Jesus, God in his kingdom, is always taking the initiative, right? Is that right? Salvation is always by the initiative of God. It is by grace. And here the servant of the Lord is taking the initiative in salvation, gathering his people together around a dinner table to serve them. In verse 14, look what Luke says. He says that the hour came. And when this hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and with his 12 disciples, he was going to fulfill Passover. He was going to institute the new covenant. 
instituting this new covenant through the Lord's Supper by, by fulfilling Passover is central and indispensable to his divine service to needy sinners. I want you to see that. And this highlights the fact that Jesus is the faithful servant carrying out his service according to his father's divine plan of redemption. When the hour came, what hour? The hour his father had appointed for him. Because you remember, you read through all the gospels and they were saying, well, they're trying to take Jesus' life and repeatedly throughout the gospel, it says, no, his hour had not come. His hour had not come. His hour had not come. They couldn't touch him. There was nothing they could do to Jesus until the hour came. Because it was his father's plan of redemption. Jesus is taking the initiative. He is saving his people as the faithful, obedient servant of the Lord. And to highlight this fact that the disciples are in great need of Jesus' divine service at this moment, Christ's words of institution are given and highlights our great need. He says to them, this is my body which is given for you. Thanks, John. That's a message entitled, The Living God is Our Servant, Part 1. More from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.